welcome to season three of the Media Careers Podcast. We're delighted to bring you more incredible industry guests who are working across the film and media industry. The Media Careers Podcast is delivered in partnership with Interfilm, supported by the BFI awarding National Lottery funding. Please don't forget to hit the little subscribe button so you can be kept up to date with all of the latest episodes and also help us ensure that we reach more people. We really hope you enjoy this episode. Sangaraja is the Senior Vice President for Localisation and Fulfilment in MIA at Deluxe. She undertook a Masters in Aeronautical Engineering at Imperial College London and spent her third year at the RWTH University in Aachen, Germany, completing her mini-thesis there. After graduation, she took a graduate placement at GKN and then a stint in consultancy before moving into the media technology industry and working at Red Bee Media in 2005. Dushi worked at Red Bee for eight years, undertaking a variety of project management roles before moving to Deluxe, where she spent the last 10 years of her career. I think it's fair to say that Dushi has had a fascinating journey into the industry, and I can't wait to hear more today. Dushi, welcome to the Media Careers Podcast. Thank you very much, Kerry. It's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> now, I've known you a little while, but I never knew about the aeronautical uh, aspect to your life, so I can't wait to kind of dig into that and find out more. <laughs> my secret nerdiness maybe uh, yeah I know I really didn't know about it but before we start there we're going to rewind a bit and start with your childhood and just find out yeah. a bit about what you were like as a young person do you yeah do you remember what you were like did you have any particular hobbies or interests yeah you know what I guess a big part and you know reflecting on it now you see as it's more of a big part but yeah my family from Sri Lanka and so they, my both my parents came to London to study. So they were very lucky they would study at university. And and so and we ended up living the majority of our childhood. Well, for when we can remember, we were babies before we grew up outside of London in near Milton Keynes in North Buckinghamshire. So it was yeah. very, you know. So I guess you know we had this kind of you know very Sri Lankan traditional aspect to our life we were obviously in the UK and we loved everything about it my parents you know really loved that as well so kind of a smattering of you know family things coming to London and weddings and stuff where we would do all of our Sri Lankan stuff and you know we're very close families myself and my sister so I'm the youngest my sister's older than me but we're very close in age and both my parents and yeah, I don't know. Like this, it was very nice. We had a kind of nice sort of. We had a garden, which is just real luxury. Yeah. <laughs> he is now living in London. Yeah, which was really nice. And I don't know. We did a lot of stuff together. We didn't do loads of things. No, which I tell my children all the time. You know, <laughs> they get to do your thing is you know crazy. But yeah, weekends together. Yeah. We. You know, learn to play music, play outside. Again, we didn't go on loads of holidays or anything, just a few things here and there. Yeah. And were, um, you, ac- and were you academic, was she? What was school like for you? Yeah, no, we really liked school. Yeah. And, I've, and I've always liked maths. I mean, I've always really, really liked maths. And so I was, you know, just always quite good at maths, which I enjoyed. Yeah. I really like reading. So for my grandfather's side, he was uh, he was like a poet and he oh. would always write poetry for us and send it to us from Sri Lanka where he lived. Oh, wow. letters, which was amazing. And so it was kind of just that imagination and 
I don't know, just always really exciting to think that's what he did. And, all, and I think we really loved that. So that was kind of like a little bit of inspiration. I used to constantly write to him as a child all the time and he'd write back and it was it was really nice when people wrote letters all the time. And I really, yeah. I still have boxes of these letters on the airmail paper. Oh, uh, do you? That really thin blue yeah. paper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I love. And there were those yeah. like pieces of papers that folded up on themselves and you stuck together like the airmail letter yeah. things. Which yeah. I was like, those all, I just remember doing that, right? Writing it, just telling him all this random stuff we were doing at home. <laughs> After that, I did this and that. You know, whatever. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You, but I love that you got like creative inspiration every time we like he posted you a letter as well. That's so. Yeah, that's no, so it beautiful. Really nice. It was so nice, and it was funny actually. Skipping back to mm -hmm. more. Recently. I think when when I went over to Sri Lanka a while afterwards as a grown up we met with my cousins who actually were living kind of near him and he was like oh we used to get your letters all the time <laughs> they would go and get posted there and he'd write all these letters so it was really nice so anyway yes I did really like school yeah all kind of you know I guess our parents were more traditional southeast asian more into schoolwork and stuff you know yeah we played the piano and I used to really like learning instruments. So I used to want to learn everything. So I used Did to play you? the clarinet and the saxophone. I wanted to play the electric guitar. And oh, wow. So I just really liked it. It was just something completely different. So yeah. different brain space. So yeah, I used to love doing all that stuff. So yeah. yeah. And then what about when you started taking qualifications? Did Did that world of kind of creativity and kind of those STEM subjects merge or did you? Yeah, like... it was funny actually because... The creative, I would have never described myself as creative as a child. You know, it's it's funny how then growing up, you see how those things change not at all. Like I was never like this person who was amazing at art or art or English or writing these great essays, which I could really see in some of my friends and they were, you know, really amazing. But I just really love to read. Yeah. <laughs> see those sort of things. But yeah, to be honest, I just really liked, out of all the subjects, I liked maths the most. So I did loads and loads of maths. Yeah. And I really enjoyed doing that. And then I, if I hadn't taken aeronautical engineering, the only reason I took it was because... Yeah, I so had, why did you take it then? Because <laughs> it had a lot of maths. And yeah. if I probably hadn't done that, I would have done maths. It was probably a bit more boring, which I think it was actually. Aeronautical <laughs> had more yeah, applications. I had a few more options, I think. Yeah. So yeah, at the time I was kind of just like, well... There were other engineering that it wasn't really that exciting. So I quite liked this one. And then when I went around universities and things, I, I really liked the university I chose. And yeah. And were you thinking about careers at that point? Were you, or were you just thinking about subjects? Like you knew that you were passionate about maths and it was like maths or actually this other one, you know, aeronautical curriculum yeah. might suit me better. So was it just about following your interests or were you actually thinking of actually... If I do this degree you at this university, I'm going to go to XYZ career. I think that's probably a case of maybe someone like me having grown up. My parents, obviously, first generation, at, say, from Southeast Asia. Mm. Being able to get a job and do all those things was really, really important. Yeah, and of course. To be independent. So they, you know, they didn't have parents or grandparents here or, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it was very much, you know, do well. You know, as my parents always said to us, you know, just do your best, do, you know, do well so you'll be fine and be able to get a job and, you know, be independent and do mm. the things you want to do. So being yeah. independent, and, and, you know, there was never any question, by the way, that you couldn't do anything 
a man or anyone else could do it was like you can do whatever you want just make sure you do well and then yeah, okay. you need to do there was actually more of an emphasis of you need to do more than your average competitor because you are a girl yeah okay interesting <laughs> you are yeah. from a different background so you yeah. could be that much better if you want to be getting those jobs and doing those things so and, that, what, and that know, was an open conversation to she as well was it oh yeah yeah, yeah. My, I remember my you know my, my dad especially would, would be like yeah you have to do much better than the next person because you know he yeah. they they grew you know they were kind of young people at a time when they didn't get things because it yeah. worked from and stuff yeah. like that so yeah like you have to be so much better so there's no opportunity to do those things yeah so, so well, yeah so there, there was never the idea of oh you'd study because it's nice to study it was sort of like you're studying you should do well you need to be able to get a job and yeah yeah you know, support yourself and all those things and yeah know. well that makes that makes sense and, and and what about the subjects that you were studying were they particular about that or did they not mind it was more just about as long as you can be independent and and money they didn't mind what kind of area you went into that was a great thing actually and to be honest in terms of schoolwork maybe that's because I was the youngest but definitely under the radar <laughs> <laughs> did your sister get more of that as the older one she's probably naturally she's probably more likely to have those conversations or I was kind of like you know so I'm gonna just make sure I just you know don't create any need to have conversations about <laughs> I can do what I want. So that was kind of my way. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But I, and I, I think having those open conversations though about actually you are going to need to work that a little bit hard, and harder and, and having the realism around that at that time, I think is, was obviously really critical as well. And, and obviously impacted you on the decisions that you were making as well, whether that was yeah, consciously yeah, or subconsciously. I don't know. You know we, my parents were lucky, you know, in Sri Lanka, their parents were able to send them to London. It doesn't mean they could then do all, all, a whole load of other things. So, yeah. you know, we really appreciated that and everything our parents you know, did for us and invested in us and all the rest of it. But, you yeah. know, my father, my, both my parents are engineers, actually. And so my father, my mum, you know, took quite a bit of time out when we were younger to look after us and then went back to work when we were sort of six, seven, eight. And then... But my father would definitely would have seen that different, you know, in his workplace, he's really good. And, you know, he he sort of, that was very different towards the end of his career. But in his early career, you know, the fact that he was different and wasn't necessarily like everyone else would yeah. have had an impact. So he would see it and say so he was just kind of like, you know, just yeah. make sure you put, you're that much better. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. So was university always going to be a route for that to enable you to have that kind of independent lifestyle? Was that definitely yeah. something you would, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I think that was it. I mean, you know, we're growing up. It was just a chance to be able to, you know, and definitely, you know, we were looking for jobs and things and or, or even getting a job and applying for jobs. It was all like, okay, well, let's see what you can get. Let's see what, you know, so you get a salary so you can kind of. Yeah do things and go places or buy what you want and not have to ask your parents yeah <laughs> that kind yeah. Of stuff. So yeah being 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 independent or being able to be independent and do things was yeah a massive part of it. both me and my sister I mean both yeah. of us yeah and then what about university so you do go and take that route you do kind of choose aeron- yeah. aeronautical uh degree what what was that experience like for you at university? Did you live live that kind of full uni life, or it was, was brilliant? It... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was it? <laughs> it was so much fun. I mean, it was yeah. really hard. Yeah, I so, imagine. 
It was really, really hard. It was a hard degree, but it was really fun. Like my that, yeah. year were really fun. The year in Germany was brilliant. It was just yeah. so fun. With so many really, really good friends who are still our friends now. And we mm. see, you know, really, really, really fun. It was just brilliant fun. Yeah, yeah. And, but it was really hard. I mean, I still, to this day, will say it was the hardest thing I've had to do. So everything else in comparison, I'm kind of like, yeah. Really, just as kind of really the yeah, in-depth was, subject that you. It were... was just really, you know some of the things, some of the things you had to learn and study, and then do the exams were really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's really amazing. And did you did that reflect in terms of what your next options might be when you graduated? Was it actually this is damn hard, and actually, do I want a career in this? Or this is damn hard, and I'm enjoying it, so I do want a career in this. Like, whatever yeah, you... Yeah, I mean, I think what I found is, and, and probably more from my character rather than anything else, like, I like doing some nerdy stuff, but I, I kind of, I, I definitely didn't want to drop the engineering straight away, which is, you know, I applied for loads of different jobs, um, like in our last year of university, and I mean, one of my best friends we would go to all of those you know come and meet us and see what you, which is what they did then I don't know if they do that now but they'd offer like these drinks things and come and meet you and offer you know to show you about the jobs and yeah. loads of interviews and loads of people like at the time it was all about you know strategy consultancy investment banking or whatever you're going to do and they basically picked they especially picked nerdy people from engineering and types degrees because they wanted maths type people yeah and so, in the end, I sort of got a few job offers and then chose the engineering because I just thought, oh, if I don't do it now, then I'll just not, you won't be able to go back to it. It's kind yeah. of one of those things, yeah. which was great because at GKN, they offered an engineering that leadership program. First thing, after studying in Germany, I just loved traveling and being able to do that. And it was being placed in all these different countries. So, wherever yeah. they had a manufacturing site, which was basically everywhere. But they had a kind of an engineering route or a commercial route. And I actually took the commercial one rather than the engineering one. Ah, uh, okay. Which meant it was a bit more across. It was always in engineering, so it was automotive and aerospace. Yeah, I, I guess what I quickly realised, like I couldn't spend my time like working on a thing, like on an aeroplane nacelle or something and just doing that for So yeah. I preferred kind of the broader picture yeah. And just the type of work, I like to work with people and talk to people and, you know, I, I like a day every now and again where I'm just kind of, you know, getting things done and doing my PowerPoints, but <laughs> yeah. not engaging with people, or you know, all the time would be... Would be hard. And that's what that kind of more engineering role would involve, right? You'd be working yeah. on a solitary basis. Yeah, well, interesting. Yeah, I think you, and then the thing I thought was, you know, you could do that. You'd obviously be able to go up and you'd do more and more of that other type of stuff. But it, yeah. you would have to really like doing that, which is, you know, that's great. If you love doing that stuff, that's perfect. And you yeah. can go and run the engineering team. And which is a, a young lady who I met at GKN, actually, hugely impressive. She was chief engineer of Rolls Royce <laughs> with, with aerospace, which I was just like, that's just the, the coolest thing ever. You know, yeah. Weekend as well on the same program as I did, and we were in Germany together actually on one project, and she did that route. Yeah, um, I mean, which as you say is incredible and very cool. It's so but, cool. You yeah, know, it's all the coolest thing. You know, Ruth, <laughs> she's brilliant. Yeah, shout out um, to her. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Ruth. So yeah, so that's kind of what I had sort of decided at that point. Yeah. Um, okay. And then I got to do some really cool projects again, which was kind of interesting on that side of things. And the last one working in the mergers and acquisition team, I just loved. It was really fun because it was kind of the 
the broad mechanics of how a business works and the various things. I mean, I yeah. like getting into the details and understanding how things work. So I'd never yeah. not want to do that, but I don't just want to be in that all the time. No, and actually you were obviously looking for other kind of skill sets to build and actually the business skills yeah. is probably not something that you'd have had up to that, that point. So actually kind yeah. of immersing yourself in that was, you know, a good way to go. So then how long were you at GKN for then? So I was at GKN for about three and a half years. Yeah, okay. And that, yeah, the last one was the mergers and acquisitions team, the aerospace one, which was a really, it was such a cool deal. It was like Pilkington Glass had <laughs> weird offset business, which is Pilkington Aerospace. Right, okay. And they made all, like, I think it was like 80% of the windows for commercial aeroplanes, say the glass. Yeah. And they made the Apache helicopter overhead transparencies with like all the stuff in it. Yeah. And the factory was near Birmingham. And you'd go there and you literally would see them, these whole massive single pieces of glass. And it was this random company in Pilkington Glass. Yeah. And they were selling that piece and their other factory was in LA, in Garden Grove, and one was in, in Brazil. And that was the deal. Anyway, it was really fun. I did that. But then there weren't any other deals after that. And so it was like, okay, well, the program had finished by that time. So right, you okay. the program. And in the program, you did all this really cool stuff. But when you finished it, you kind of had to take a... A more normal job within GKN, which fits you into those things. So right, okay. So it's almost like a rotate. You're on a rotation then, so yeah. you could then f- f- see where you best. Yeah. That. So then, were you going to stay at GKN? Then was it? Was that no. a- because they didn't have any other? Uh, if they had any deals going, I probably would have. I would have probably stayed in that mergers and acquisitions team, but they didn't. Right. Okay. They were kind of like, well, why don't you take something else and see what happens in the year? But I was young and you know impatient. And I was like, <laughs> And the options were kind of, you know, disappearing into one of the businesses and, you know, doing something and kind of waiting. And I just, I don't know, anyway, I so got you, the job, so. Yeah, so you, so, you, so you left then, having done all of those rotations, because obviously from their perspective, they want you to stay, right? You've done your rotation and then, but yeah. you're like, no, I'm going, Yeah, I'm going off. So did you go and do your consultancy then? Is that when you did yeah. your little interim? And I went, went to work for consultancy and they were yeah. like operational strategy consultancy working with engineering firms so okay. having someone who had the background and had seen something and yeah um, stuff. so then I did that yeah so where well, it's funny it was really fun I mean it was the, the thing that was amazing about it was it gave you this very structured formal way of organizing and presenting data and analysis because you're as, as everyone knows whether we like it or not you know consultants come and present powerpoint and people buy that yeah yeah they do <laughs> you know? yeah so yeah. it was, and then, you know, also then in the engagements and meetings and, you know, documentation and reports, it was very kind of, gave that formality that, yeah, which was, which was really, really great. And I've yeah. always used that. I was going to say that probably filters into your work now, right? In terms of the lessons you yeah, learned maybe. through that. So then, does she, how on earth do you end up at Redby? <laughs> yeah. It was really funny because I, again, every now and again, I would just like to apply. If I see a job that I think is interesting, whether I think I can get it or not, or if it's the right sector or anything, <laughs> I want to apply. I love and that. it was on the BBC website and they were looking for some, I can't remember what it was, like a consultant in business analysis or something or other. And so I applied and then I got an interview and um, the lady who interviewed me was a lady called Melissa Carr, who I worked with several years after. So we're still very good friends and she was brilliant. And so I actually joined when it was still BBC Broadcast. Okay, yeah. 
and then joined, I think, literally the day after it had turned into Redby Media after Macquarie Bank bought the business. Uh-huh. So that was how I think, you know, when I talked to Melissa about my experience in the managers and acquisitions team and yeah. it was on the, the, the operational within a team, you know, operational due diligence, working with a bunch of people and, you know, had a feel for the fact that you're delivering savings on deal close and all this kind of stuff, which needs yeah. to happen. But it was a completely different industry. So, that I just had to learn what what it was about, which was a steep learning curve, which was quite yeah. fun. Yeah. Very different people, very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And I think also, I think that's so good, Dishy, for people to hear. I think we automatically assume that, like, once you're in an industry, like, you don't transfer over. And we talk about transferable skills and that people have transferable skills, but actually, I think it's quite rare to hear of people that do transfer complete industry. So it's amazing that you you did that and you're like yeah of course I can do that like I've got all of this skill take a pump you know yeah. sometimes you do something and it's interesting just go for it you do the best you can yeah and see what it gets you and you know I was lucky and met, met Melissa that was really nice and you know it was a good timing and yeah and then that was great I remember talking to her, you know I'd been working in these round you know manufacturing engineering even at the consulting it was manufacturing engineering so you ended up in these factories in the middle of nowhere and one of the things that was difficult was the consultancy was a lot of travel with GK and you ended up in random places. And I was kind of like, I kind of would like to work in London now again. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was just so nice. And yeah. the Red Bee team were amazing. Everyone was really good, you know, really, really open to doing things differently, even if well, you were just yeah. doing it, which was yeah. great. A lot of innovation in that way then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the team are brilliant. I mean, I always try and hire people from Red B because they're always really good. <laughs> if anyone's uh, listening, Red B. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> the real stars. They know they're brilliant. And it, uh, it was great because it was just an exciting time, you know, from Red B servicing just the BBC across all creative access and TV play out. The deal was done on the back of Flextech television deals, so the first commercial deal. And after that, I mean, Red Beat pretty much won everything. Yeah. So it was really, really cool. And it was really fun doing bids, winning deals, helping yeah. with the delivery, presenting to the board on CapEx. So yeah, it was really, really fun. And yeah. really fun people. And people are really good. So you can learn stuff from them. You know, it's always great working with people who think, oh, wow, that's really good. And you can learn how they do things. Yeah. That sounds like a really exciting and dynamic place to be. It sounds as though, as you said, you were right at the start of their journey as well to kind of being this independent yeah. company. That must have been an exciting place and working with teams that want to like grow the business and kind of put themselves out there kind of separate from that that BBC era. So that must have been a lot of a lot of fun. Were there any challenges with that, that though, Dushy? Kind of... There were loads of challenges. I mean... It was interesting, you know, moving from Red Bee to here, because in hindsight, Red Bee was, you know, really quite formal. And it probably was really formal because the main client was the BBC. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to be able to work on projects to service the BBC, which was brilliant. Again, I worked with lots of amazing people. And so, you know, there's just a formality around it. And there are lots of people who'd worked in that very contractual, very kind of professional procurement sort of way. Mm. You know, established, established relationships. Sometimes it was difficult to break into some established relationships. And no, it was good. I mean, I think at the end when I ended up leaving, it was on the cusp of, but, you know, again, one of the best things I worked on was a Channel 4 broadcast technology outsource project, which was 
fantastic. And why was that so good? What was it so? Well, I went with Christian Langridge. So (laughs) uh, that was very fun. And it was Channel 4. Yeah. Channel 4 is really cool. Yeah, Channel 4 is really cool. (laughs) Channel 4 is really, really cool. Yeah. It was just really nice. You know, there was a production village built in Channel 4. And uh, they basically were outsourcing everything they did in the house to Red Beats. It was a massive deal. Yeah. Project. Um, massive, massive deal. And it was, you know, because then we'd gone through a couple of these sort of projects before. It was done super fast. Um, Christian led the project. I worked on the bid team. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was, yeah, really cool project. And in the end, you know, that time I think they won nearly, I think they had BT Sport and loads and loads of contracts. And then Ericsson had come in and they were looking to do the acquisition of Red Bee Media. In between times, I had one child and then I was going off to have another one. And then it came a bit stuck, actually, you know, just in terms of stuck in the the competition commission and stuff. And, you know, you kind of in those phases, you can't make decisions on CapEx or investment on this and the other. And it was just a bit. Yeah. Just what happens, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then and then are you thinking, so you're obviously looking to move on and you obviously move on to Deluxe. But are you thinking you're going to stay in the media industry? Has that become... Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, what was so yeah. nice? I mean, honestly, the people, really brilliant. Mm. I remember when I, I worked with a gentleman consultant, and he always said, you know, when you can get excited about what you're involved in, and I'm, to be honest, I'm not, you know, it's a big joke with my friends, but I don't really watch that much TV or anything. But <laughs> I really like the idea that it's present. Yeah. It's there. You see what you're involved in, whether it's a subtitle or audio description or signing or whatever it is, you know, yeah. it's really cool you see what you're doing yeah I remember at Red Bean you know, they did all the live subtitling for like tennis so when it switches from one channel to another one you know how hard it is and yeah. you know all the rest of it you know so yeah. really... anyway so yeah I really enjoyed it so yeah. so it's know... going to be your next move was going to be in media when, when yeah, you... yeah. Honest, I would have always been open to anything else but it was a, that's what I could leverage the most at that point that was yeah. the experience I had didn't you know I had two small children at that time so I had you know two-year-old and a one-year-old so like there's no way you know toy with the idea of going back into consultancy or banking but the idea of sort of a lifestyle that would stifle family life would be impossible for me so yeah yeah I needed uh, to keep that balance there as well it's kind of that balance isn't it between income what you're interested in the job satisfaction but balancing family all of those kind of balls yeah, in the, it's the, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's the middle it's the core <laughs> for me is it's got to it's got to work with that so. yeah yeah absolutely so then yeah. move to deluxe and you've been at deluxe the last 10 years now so you've obviously yeah. progressed um what was that move into deluxe like for you it was really cool because i joined what was a start it was kind of like a startup within deluxe yeah. And it was IP, it was broadcast over IP, working for the two co-founders, um, which was great. So one thing I did want to do was move from like, what it, I know it sounds weird, but from a big kind of corporate, lots of process and hoops and stuff into a small thing. And that's what it was like. It was tiny. I think there was probably like 12 people there when I joined and then a few yeah. others joined and... Um, and then it got subsumed into the greater deluxe, but for a few years it was yeah. just, you know, very agile, moving from that startup sort of feel into signing the first kind of commercial deal, which was with SBS Australia, which was one against Red B Media. I'm going to say that just for <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it was like four people out of this very small office in London against Red B, who is really very much, and I have full respect, established, professional, high-quality play-out service provider, like the best. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we won that deal. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and that was fun, you know, small team, everyone's personalities and relationships and stars. That was, yeah. it was great, you know, the opportunity to work on lots of different things and different breads, you know, and you're not just doing this one thing. Yeah. That was really good. Lots of POCs that didn't necessarily go anywhere. But again, you know, it was great. It was really, really fun. Really enjoyed that. At the time, then there was, you know, changes happening within Deluxe, of which there were quite a few changes then over the, that period. I mean, Deluxe at that point was owned by Ron Perlman, mm-hmm. by Candries and Forbes business, who kind of owned Revlon and other things. Yeah. Um, that was going through a change, or, you know, he stayed involved until a few years ago, actually. And how does that impact your work in life when those kind of big decisions are, are almost being made out of your control, you know, when, you know, mergers are happening, or acquisitions are happening, like, what... How does that impact your daily job? Like when that's really, that time, time, because we at, at Media Cloud, they, that deal was that was what was going on. So we were then in the delivery phase. So to be honest, the contract signed, we had to get on and deliver it. So yeah. it didn't have the impact of that. You know, it was more a case of you know various you know people's opinions of whether it was should be this or that or how it was done you know, those were lots of discussions but then in the end you know the deal was done and the thing was signed we had to deliver so you just need to kind of focus on that yeah yeah and in the meantime and I had my third child during that period actually and then came <laughs> back <laughs> and, um, and at that point you know we, there was a big consolidation going on within Deluxe because there was probably about eight rooftops in central London and consolidating down to two and so Mm-hmm. At the end, before going off on maternity, I was working for a gentleman called Mark Chaplin, who was just lovely, brilliant. And he asked me to come back and work on the broader deluxe scope, running their project project management. I was actually setting up a project management office. Yeah. To complete that change. Okay. So we shot down seven rooftops, consolidated teams into two locations, moved technology into data centers, you know, the whole shebang. That's a little bit of a big project. That's a huge. So what, did you come back to that project after straight after your maternity leave? Yeah. So I came back, I think, part-time for a bit. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it was midway, but some of the, te- you know, some of the technology bits were going on. And, um, yeah, so I came back to kind of finish it off and oversee. I mean, I did not need it, the detail of it, but running, especially some of the operational meetings. Yeah where we had to move people out of different locations and, you know, there was a various, it was very complex. And they were talking about, yeah. you know, switch somewhere that didn't work because it needed to have this and the upgrade didn't work and we were going to use this IP. I remember there was this one technology called Lavo. And I, I don't know, anyway, it was this very complex and it was just trying to unpick yeah. and not be afraid from like asking why and why is that and why is that you know there's always something but it can't be done because of this and like, okay well just explain why is that yeah you kind of just really have to get into that detail. yeah and I was going to ask you about that as well like do, how much do you get into the nitty-gritty of the technology within well, I suppose in that role then and also within your role now is that because obviously you were so in, like so close to the technology and 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 uh, uh, do you do that now as part of your job? And, and I really like it. Yeah, <laughs> I do yeah. Like it. 
Yeah. So you know, when you need to, like that was a really good example on that project. Yeah, when you have to get into the, some of the details. To be honest, to deliver something like that, you have to, yeah. and you have to understand in detail why that's the reason it's not happening. Yeah. So you can then explain it. So when someone says, why are you delayed on that thing? So you've got to be able to get into that detail. Otherwise, you just don't have credibility, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Or we were saying, oh, I need to call someone to explain this. And that's or you thing. might make the wrong decisions, right? Because if you, you make the wrong you... decisions, or yeah. you listen to something without challenging it. So yeah. Yeah. Really, really complex, but it was, you know, again, we had a really cool team, you know, the PMO team, it was really great. We, you know, we had lots of contractors and perms off, loads of people, it was a massive project. Yeah. Doing all of that stuff. So, yeah, that was really fun. You know, there was lots of changes happening in, in the interim. We also then, you know, we had a new platform that was launched, you know, worked with a gentleman called Andy Schenkler, who is just fantastic. And yeah, lots of transformation, which was fun. And yeah. all of it is kind of understanding how to do it, making sure you're on board with it being feasible and it's going to work and you believe in it. And then bringing the rest of the team on board. So if you can yeah. bring people along with you to those changes and get it done in a respectful, collaborative way, then yeah, that's that was, was great. Yeah. And that transformation, it, there is seems as though like there will obviously be like really high points of when there's like in- acute transformation happening but it feels as though just generally in the industry that's that's kind of not slowed down for a, quite a long time now that transformation yeah. is like almost just our daily bread and butter it, is is that the case or actually does it have those kind of peaks and troughs I think so you know what I think if we hadn't if I mean we as a delight so we haven't done on that some on that side what we had done at that period we would have been in trouble because we just wouldn't have the agility to be able to move with the changes that yeah. we needed to in the last three, three, four years. Yeah. So, you know, it was really tough. You know, we have global operations. So there was moving of resources around the globe to try and take advantage of lower cost locations. You know, we had some established relationships with, you know, UK broadcasters, which we had lost, which was significant. So, it did actually during that period pivot us away from servicing broadcasters as much in the broadcast chain into studios. Mm. Okay, um, that's interesting. Which yeah. was interesting. You know, we yeah. still have you know fantastic um servicing engagement with BBC Studios, which you know, which who we, we like very, very much. And you know, that's great. But you know, we kind of definitely shift away from any play out chain delivery. We do media prep, we can prep media and content to deliver to a play out chain. Yeah. It's very shift away TX. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, so Dishy, what does your current job involve? What does it mean on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So I mean I have three GMs in Spain, France, and Germany reporting to me. So in Germany and France, they're dubbing studios. So mm-hmm. we do dubbing of studio content. So it could be Disney, Lionsgate, Warner Brothers, Apple, Amazon Studios, whatever. Mm-hmm. And in Spain, it's more like a similar footprint to UK where we do a little bit of everything, including dubbing. And then in the UK, you kind of do all of that sort of servicing as well as all centralised audio mix and fulfilment mastering QC, subtitling, live subtitling, pre-recorded subtitling, language subtitling, audio expression, everything. Yeah, um, Every, everything. Yeah, <laughs> which is really, I still think, you know, Deluxe is pretty amazing for that. There's just so many different things. Yeah. We want so many titles that go out to the cinema, whether it's a theatrical subtitling or the master DCP or whatever. So we're very closely with my partner, Ollie, who runs cinema. 
um, where we, you know, where there's synergies where we can work together on things and we just do anyway because he's really fun. And then with the team. So last year was a crazy year, big disruption. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, how does from- that, and how does that impact that? So you're talking about the the strikes, right? The writer strikes and the actor strikes. So how does that then impact you? Yeah. So last year it was kind of a double whammy for us. So there was the writer's strikes that so when there are those strikes, they tend to delay titles. Mm. So it just means, you know, if you were expecting to get a few theatrical titles or any sort of titles, you know, during that period, they're kind of on hold. You know, yeah. they can't they can't do anything. And then there's um other things with, from previous years. There was you know there was disruption within the industry. So after kind of the streaming craziness from the previous two years you know that all kind of died you know that kind of normalized a bit let's say because I think 2022 was was super crazy in terms of platforms launched content bought content prepped and delivered and localized it was just unbelievable yeah you know we worked on the launch of Disney Plus in 2020 which was huge right Disney Plus's yeah and then every other territory launch it was massive and so that kind of went up and up and up to a massive bubble and that bubble kind of then just burst and then it but normalized back so if you kind of took out that you know it's just a different different feel for us so yeah so it's making sure you know and you know the team here in the UK but it's because it's very much a servicing center just kind of sized up to support the volume with freelance and fixed term contract people because you know we wanted we, we've got fantastic talent and we want to try and keep them so a lot of it is managing that but at the same time mm-hmm trying to get more out of product to help us automate and, you know, all those usual things from all sides and trying to keep teams motivated and engaged and, you know, to help us um, continue with all of our clients and understand where our clients are going and what they want. And yeah. um, yeah. It's an extraordinary place to be in, Dushy. Like, as you say, like you've got all of these different factors that are playing into your, you know, the day-to-day running of the company, but then there's innovation within the day-to-day running of the company because technology is changing. It's, it must be quite an ex- like a quite dynamic environment to working, and as you say, relying on people and their and their skill sets and their abilities to kind of manage all of those changes. So it must be extraordinary. Very privileged, and then just the team. You know, the team we have, they're brilliant because you know they'll bring things up and they'll make a difference, and we can do it this way or that way, or you know there was this thing here and we could do it like that. So you know, I'm just lucky to have a fantastic team across Amir. Yeah, amazing. Hugely talented people who, yeah, just fantastic. So that's what um, makes it really great. Yeah. And Dishy, where do you see the kind of the challenges for and innovations that might happen and impact Deluxe going forward and particularly the work that you're doing at the moment? Is there anything that you're like, well, this particular tech's going to be instrumental for us or not instrumental? Yeah, I mean, a big story, everyone's, you know, talking about AI and MT and how that's, you know, we do a lot of localised languages and dubbing. There's lots of talk of all of that. Yeah. How that impacts the industry, how we can look after the industry because they're long-established industries in in. part of the world and you know the 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 fabulous industries and talent comes up through all of that so trying to be aware of you know the influence of those things on on an industry that's been established for you know 50 to 100 years so yeah Yeah. that's that's one thing I think the other thing as well is you know really trying to support getting more diverse talent into the workplace is really Mm -hmm. important to me so obviously working with people self carry (laughs) been an inspiration but you know, other bodies and groups to really, you know, try and do something practical 
that we can help, you know, to, to broader the mindset because having more different people involved in what we do just gives us more creativity in how we tackle situations. You know, yeah. the way I'm going to do it is probably going to be the way I'm going to do it. But if I have four very different people sat around the table with me, you know, that's how we'll get to the really good answer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, we're, mm. and we are making progress, but just not enough and not quickly yeah. enough. So, um, yeah, well, as you know, I wholeheartedly agree with that. So, um, look, Dishy, we're coming to the end of the podcast, but I just, I've got a few more questions for you. You've talked about people quite a lot and the importance of people in your working life and how, you know, instrumental they've been. But what other reasons do you love about working in this industry? I do, I do love, I mean, some of the things we're doing at the moment, which I, I do generally think is really exciting, is the boundaries that you're asked to push. So as we work with languages, you yeah. know, our clients, you know, we've got some clients who are just pushing our teams. You know, we're working in languages like Nigerian Pidgin. And we recently did something which was a Native American language that pushes us to, A, recognise that they exist. And, you know, the traditional French or German or Italian dar, but actually... It's all about accessibility and itself is about diversity and inclusion. So yeah. why, why is something, just because it's always been that case, more important than another thing? And then also, you know, all of us as a whole group, you know, involved in, you know, we have to find people and create a community and translators. It's a whole thing to establish a new language as a subtitle language or a dub language or whatever, which, to be honest, just raises all of our knowledge and understanding yeah. yeah and we don't and we don't think about that dishy either do we I don't think we spend enough time thinking about the, the exactly that like that actually that the the subtitling and the dubbing in different languages ha, that, that there's hundreds of different languages yeah. right and actually as you said we might not even know that this language exists but why should a film title not be translated into that yeah. language but I love that idea also that you're creating communities and networks out in yeah in the different parts of the world that won't have necessarily had all of that done before. And does, does that come, who makes those suggestions about, oh, it should be done in this language this time? I mean, it's the studios. It's studios, yeah. So, you know, they really do. So it's, it's, it's a great place to be. Mm. As they try, you know, and that was one of the things that happened with the writer's strike. We saw more non-English original content yeah. come our way. Which was, again, it's really nice that we work on a lot of it now, whereas previously, you know, probably the majority of our work would have been English original content. No, that's really now, nice. Yeah, that's, and, that's, and that's continued, has it? It's continued, mm -hmm. yeah, and everyone really loves it, yeah. you know, which is fantastic. Again, because it's giving those windows into all these other places. And I, when we were growing up, and I laugh now because I loved it, my mind's in debate, I was like, Beverly Hills 90210 and Melbourne. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. what we watched, and it was brilliant. But there was nothing really. <laughs> it was not like this very diverse availability of content. Whereas now, the stuff you can see, you know, the stuff you can watch as kids, is so different. You know, you can recognize, you know, people from different backgrounds and cultures, and sort of recognize themselves. You know, we do these massive Indian original titles, or yeah, which is brilliant. I yeah. Mean, really really cool and I think that's the thing when we're talking about diversity and inclusion it's in all aspects as well and this is only one tiny little bit but it, it makes a huge difference to the communities that are, are that are being reached as a result of something being subtitled in the language but as you say also from films and content being created in the language to us as well I think it's 
It's all and not just on, you know, in, in different regions places, but they go on to Disney Plus or they go on to Netflix or whatever, you know. Yeah. That's the thing. And that's, yeah. you know, and, and you know, all of those places, you know, opening offices across the globe and no, it's very interesting. Yeah, that? really interesting. And that and that, that world of content just keeps growing, right? The different types of content and the way that we can access it and the way that other people can access it, yeah. And something that we just, yeah, I don't think about enough, but obviously it's part of your day-to-day job, yeah. kind of thinking about that and how it can be done. And Yeah. Yeah, incredible. It's really interesting, like even conversations that some of the students have with us is everyone wants more diversity, no, it's like in voice talent, more diversity in voice talent. So if you're having something dubbed in Castilian Spanish, it needs to be more diverse talent that's doing that dubbing. You know, that yeah. is another, you know, it's another challenge to the industry to actually be able to provide that because yeah. you know what? Why wouldn't why shouldn't it be? Yeah, no, why shouldn't <laughs> it be? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, oh god, there's so many questions. But do, do you go find that talent or do you have agencies that find our that teams, talent? Our teams do. Your teams do, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, love yeah. our dubbing. Our, so we obviously we have vendor part. We have partners. So we have supplier partners, and you know these yeah. are things we will pass on to them. And the studios do as well. You know they yeah. are asking for that. The minimum is a checkbox on the response. Yes, I support diverse talent to the maximum. <laughs> actually, you know, like our studio in Germany have a talent um, workshop and kind of training where they you know, go and have diverse talent coming through universities and acting schools to come in and try and learn dubbing and you know yeah, really. Amazing very proactive way into pulling in sort of more diversity into yeah. voice talent. Um, yeah, so yeah, different ways. Mm, I love it. I love it, Dishy. Um, and look, finally, have you got any advice for anybody trying to get into the industry? And who said, like, if they listen to this podcast and your story, think, oh, you know, Deluxe sounds like a really good company. How, what's the kind of entry point? How would somebody get into a company like Deluxe? I think, first of all, I think, you know, one of the other thing I love about, our industry is people come into it from every single direction you could possibly imagine and you're a great example of that (laughs) you know so there's no no I think it's having the interest and being tenacious and you know trying things out you know we definitely want to do more kind of work placements and things I'm working you know obviously working with yourself as well Carrie I'd love Mm. to do more of that so trying to get a route in that way applying to roles getting in touch you know, yeah. ask about the jobs, you know, we're very happy to be able to support that. We we want, we want to do something more structured, so giving more ability. And, you know, we've done a lot of that with Rise before for people to see what we do and yeah. different ways into the business, you know, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think great yeah. And I think that's the thing is that for people to think about the breadth of roles that there are, and obviously Deluxe covers so much that actually, as you say, having just a passion and then talking and then reaching out. And I think sometimes people feel as though there's a barrier and that they won't be responded to, but actually it's company... Difficult. It's difficult, because, you yeah. know, who do you talk to if you don't know anyone, or, you yeah. know, you know what I mean? Whereas I have to say, the one thing I've told a number of people who, you know, worked us in junior positions is, I, I think one of the best, you know, we don't have one, but, you know, BBC, work experience, yeah. Channel 4, dear, you know, I think the UK broadcasters, you know, really do have amazing programmes, just to yeah. do a few months or a month, a few weeks. Yeah. You know, there's work experience programmes, and, you know, I'd love for us to do one as well, you know, yeah. so I think those things are brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah, they do, they help, don't they, definitely? Yeah. Well, well look, Dishy, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating. <laughs> I've loved hearing about, uh, hearing about your story into the industry and also what you do now at Deluxe and long may the innovation and transformation and um the exciting dynamic projects you're working on continue and um yeah thank you so much Dishy. thank you it was my pleasure <laughs>
Thanks, Carrie.